The following presentation was recorded at Faith Builders. More information on Faith Builders events at fbep.org. Music and how we teach music. First of all, I'd like to look at some objectives. Just what should we be teaching in music? That's a question that we need to look at. Exactly what should be the nature of the music course in our Christian schools. What should be included? And then I want to look at, secondly, how do you structure the music class? And we'll talk a little about that. Preparing programs, where do you find music? Are there places that can help? And then third, we'll do some very practical things with uh, looking at voice and choral sound. So I'd like to hear from you a little bit. What have been or what are your goals in music in your school? Let's just hear what's happening out there. What are you doing? Maybe you don't want to say. Okay. Trying to get the boys to sing on tune. That's a great practical starting point there. What else? Well, my goal as a first year teacher is to have me reading fluently. That is your goal or that was your goal? That is my goal. That is your goal. Good. That's a good goal. Yes, <laughs> that's why you. That's why I asked to see which it was. It's a good goal, but it isn't as easy as uh, as we'd like for it to be. But I've had the same goal. Still keep it in front of me. Well, I think about the future for for the music students and realize that the only place that the large percentage of them ever use it is youth chorus and then congregational singing. Hmm and try and apply most of what I teach to practical application in, in that specific manner. Hmm. That's good. So you're focusing on what these people are going to be doing with what they learn. Okay, that's good. What else? Any other things that you work for? How many of you find yourself using up all your time practicing for one or two programs a year? Okay, several. I'm surprised it's not more. What are you doing? What are you doing? Let's just hear from some of you. How many of you have music once a week? How about twice a week? Three? Four. Okay, so we have about once a week. And uh, how many of you use CLE music, of course? Okay, a number of you. How many use David C. Cook? Anybody use uh, Irene Moyer's music? A few of you do? Okay. 
Any others out there that I haven't mentioned? Rod and staff? Okay, a few more. All right, any others? How far do you get through the CLE uh, book? How far do you get in their course? Someone want to venture an answer to that? Should remember who raised their hand for CLE. My guess is, am I wrong to say that you don't get as far as you'd like? Is that is that true? You don't get as far as you as you'd like to. Well, what are some objectives? We've talked about a few here. We've talked about a few. And let me just suggest a number here. And I like that I like the uh, focus that Wendell gave it there is if you focus on preparing them for where they will use it. And we talked about uh, youth chorus, talked about church, and we hope they will use it in the family as well. Now, that's where they're going to be using it. So what do, they, what do they need to know in order to do that? Well, let's start with our general objectives here. We want them to read music. Shape notes or round notes? Both. Round. Okay. How many of you teach both? Oh, okay. number of you do. How many of you teach round notes only? Okay, one or two. How many? I'm assuming the rest of you shape notes. Raise your hand if you use shape notes. Okay. All right. So you want them to read music. You want them to read it well. We'll talk more about shape round notes later. What else do you want them to do? Like to sing. What else? Okay. Be able to sing. And that, under that whole category, we have uh, pitch and uh, being able to sing together. We call it blend. And we also there just have a, a broader category yet of just what we call choral sound. And I want to address some of these areas here as we go along. What else? We sing a, chor a chorus maybe. They'll be singing hymns in church and maybe go Christmas caroling or whatever. And then family in their family Bible reading and prayer time, they might include some singing as well. So what do you need to know? Okay. Able to lead. 
All right. Well, I think those do cover the primary uh, categories. I'd like to add one, and that is to have a basic appreciation. Call it basic because it's it's not. I don't. I've not. I've never had enough time to do a broad based approach, but just have a very basic appreciation for uh, shall we say origins and kinds of music. The origin of music, how it's developed over the years, and then the kinds of music that we have. Now, in a workshop like this, I'm aware that we have a number of different practices in our groups. Uh, how many of your How many of your fellowships or churches uh, allow you to have recordings with instruments on them? Okay, a majority of you. All right. And how many of you uh, could have a piano or a guitar in your home? Okay, about as many. All right. Well, that is going to affect just how we uh, teach music and, and how we approach this whole thing about appreciating where music has come from. I've heard people argue a number of different positions on this whole thing about music, where some have said that uh, since, since music, most of Western music as we know it, developed from Gregorian chant. And we know that some of the popes around the time of Pope Gregory and others uh, persecuted Christians severely. And since they persecuted what we believe was the true church, then anything they did, we're going to say, is not of God. Okay, so since our music developed from them, uh, our music must be something wrong with it because it was developed by people who were uh, persecutors of God's children. Okay, well, I personally don't hold to that, but I've heard that argued. Uh, Conrad Grebel did say that uh, music was a very dangerous thing. And he thought that if we really were scriptural, uh, we wouldn't sing at all in public in our churches. Because he says the Bible says, sing and make melody in and make music in your hearts rather than with your mouth. Okay, make it in your heart. Well, the problem I see with that, in about one or two generations, you wouldn't have it anymore, or else it would drastically change the form of it. Because music is something that is learned. In China, for instance, they have quarter steps, not half steps and whole steps. They also have quarter steps. That's why much Eastern music has... Uh, that very sliding, uh, just we listen to it, it just sounds like this sliding. We, we, we can't make sense of all the pitches because it has much smaller steps between pitches. And our system of music, the Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, has only been around for 400 years. Okay, That's a long time, granted. But it's not like it's been around for a thousand or two or three thousand years. But it has developed over time. And so I want my students to have a basic appreciation, understanding as to how music developed, what's been done with it, and have to know enough about 
how some of the truly great music that has been with us for for a long time, just understand how it, how it is that came about, what kind of organization and structure does it have. And so that requires some basic knowledge of music history and some theory as well. So I want my students to be good, and this isn't an adequate term, but good consumers of music. I want them to understand some of the issues as music relates to um, the mor morality issue. Big debate when I was in college on campus was, is music moral or amoral? Is it a moral issue? In other words, is some music wrong and the music right, or is it just the words that makes the difference? So those are all things that we can talk about with our students. Well, if we're going to set these forward as objectives, you want them to read music, want them to like to sing, be able to sing, want them to know how to sing in a group, what makes a song, what makes it sound nice, want them to be able to lead singing, you want them to have a basic understanding and grasp of music as a whole, kind of get the big picture. Let's just look at some curriculum ideas, and uh, I've already had you mention some, CLE, Rod, and staff, and let's talk a little about round notes, shape notes. How long does it take to learn the shape notes <clears throat> for an average third grader? Some of you that have taught it. They probably learned it before then, didn't they? I've, it's been a while since I looked at CLE's course there, but how long does it take them to learn the shapes, to recognize them, not necessarily in a song, but to recognize them? How long does it take them? Okay. All right. So they learn the shapes, and then what do they have to learn then to use it in sight reading? What do they have to learn? Right. So they have to be able to sing from Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do, right? And then they have to be able to know what it sounds like to go from Re to Fa or from so to do, and so on. They have to know what that sounds like. They have to know what a do sounds like, know what a me sounds like, because it's going to sound like a me. We talk about uh, pitches in that way. And then, on top of that, they have to be able to do it in rhythm, right? Do it in time. Okay, so they have to learn all that. Let me just mention a primary fault I think many of us have in teaching music is that we, we teach the notation. This is a quarter note. This is what me looks like. But we never teach how to sing it in time. We never teach how to really do it off the page. Okay. It doesn't help you a lot to know what it looks like if you can't do it. I always say that music is very biblical. Unless you can do it, you don't know it. Okay. So you don't really know it unless you can perform it. 
So what I like to start out with on, on very young groups is before I ever show them a single note, I will take, and I'll, come, I'll walk in front of the class, and it's been a number of years now since I taught elementary music, but I'll walk in front of the class and I'll simply say, okay, listen to this. Okay, now you do it. Try it. Here we go. Okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good for first grade. <laughs> no. Uh, but we had a few different places where we had the eighth notes in there, right? So, but most of you got it. Now, the thing is, you've just performed a rhythm. Did you, you don't have to know anything about rhythm. And I could come over here then. And I could write that rhythm on the board. Something like that. Okay, that's the rhythm you just did. But if I were to ask you right off the top now, do this rhythm, and you were to look at it, in fact, let's try that. You just heard it, so you have an advantage here. Okay? Now, so I'm going to give you a tempo. One, two, ready, go. Okay, yeah, you can do that. You can read. Now, that's rhythm. That's not adding any pitch. Okay, so I'll, then, I'll, then we'll start singing. And for lower grades especially, I'll, I'll uh, come in and I'll say, uh, there's all kinds of things you can do with this. You can be very creative and make up your own. But a, a gentleman by the name of Kodai... How many of you heard of Kodai? Okay. Uh, I want to say Czechoslovakia or Hungary. Hungary. It's where he's from. Uh, around the turn of the century and uh, following. Uh, devised a method of teaching music to children. And you can learn his method today. And what he starts out with is the... Uh, so me, so me, so me. He said it's the interval of nature because, you know, we say hello. And a, a lot of times he, he observed children. He noticed that that's one of the first intervals that they would vocalize. And so as a teacher, I come in front of my classroom and I, and I say hello. And you go, hello. Yeah. And I say, how are you? How are you? I'm fine. You could have said I'm fine. See? All right, and so, um, or uh, teachers will take role that way too. They say, uh, uh, Johnny, and he'll say, I'm here. Okay. Well, and then he, he, he built on the so me interval and went to la. I'm fine today. Okay. So, so, that's not right. Uh, that's not the word, the, uh, the melody I wanted, or the words, I'm sorry planned this out and didn't write it down. Um, I'm fine today. Something like that. Okay. You can add other pitches to it. And then he adds, he goes from that, and by the end of the 
Uh, he starts with, with first grade, and by the time he gets to, I believe it's doesn't, not until he gets to like third or fourth grade does he finish out the entire scale. Okay? So he takes several years before he ever covers the entire scale. All the songs, practices, something else that happens then is that the minute that teacher walks in the classroom, he establishes a, a rhythm. And he does everything in that rhythm for the whole 20 minutes. Okay? He never loses that. That rhythm is always going. Okay, class? And somehow he either taps or, or claps or snaps, and everything is within that rhythm. So that when he walks out of the class, they have experienced a steady tempo for 20 minutes. Okay? <laughs> One of the criticisms of choral people that never have an instrument is that they can't keep a steady rhythm. We don't have a good sense of time. And I had a, a choir director one time who, uh, during the whole time, he said his students used to keep track of him. He'd, he'd be uh, directing a song, and they would keep track of that beat. I'm getting tired. They would keep track of that beat, and uh, if he would stop in the middle of the song and say, let's start over, okay? Uh, they, would, they would keep the tempo, the, the rhythm going, whatever rhythm he was doing of the piece. And every time, he always started in on, on the downbeat, one, two, three, every time. And he said, I never thought about it, but internally, he had developed that metronome because he, had, he said, I, I uh, played in the marching band in school. If you've ever seen marching band music, you play one instrument, and there may be 32 measures where your instrument doesn't play. But you better be ready to come in on measure 33, okay? And so you just learn to count, and you feel that rhythm until it's an internal part of you. So if you want to work on that, get a metronome and just practice uh, keeping that rhythm going and trying to do things. Sing a song and keep it. You'd be amazed at how much you fudge that rhythm if you just keep it going. All right. Well, that's Kodai. And he has his method. Uh, other other uh, gentleman by the name of Carl Orff uh, came up with a, a system of teaching children. And if you, if there's probably few of us that are interested enough and enjoy music enough to really pursue some of these things. But I just want to encourage you, if, if this is something you think you'd like to pursue, that you do it. There aren't very many of us in, in Mennonite uh, Anabaptist groups that, that pursue some of these things. But I think we give children a tremendous gift uh, when we give them the gift of music. And you know that uh, if a child studies music, he probably does better in school than a child that doesn't, especially in elementary. Okay? Because it develops a part of his thinking and awareness that is not there if he doesn't take it. All right. Well, some other curriculum ideas that we can use, and I, uh, we've listed some of them. I personally just want to recommend uh, the Moyer curriculum. Uh, what she does, she, she developed the curriculum particularly for our schools, our kinds of schools that do not have instruments. So many uh, curriculum that are out there uh, do not, you know, they, they have included... Uh, little instruments or, or uh, all kinds of things that we may not have available in our schools and may not want to make available. So for us, uh, it's helpful if we can have a course designed 
by someone who understands uh, what what our goals are. And what I like about it is that it is comprehensive in the approach. It doesn't just teach what uh, to, to recognize, and you, you can do the worksheet. It also teaches you if you if you utilize it as a teacher, it will teach you how to read music and how to hear. So I, I would recommend that. And let me just give you a phone number if you want to call her and get some of her curriculum. She's revising it. She promised me she would try to have it done by this fall. Uh, area code 215-593-5446. Irene uh, Daniel and Irene Moyer are their names. Yes? Quite a while. Is that different? Oh, okay. 610 area code. Thanks. I've had it quite a while, several years. Okay. All right. 610 would be the area code. Now, let's just say you don't use that and you want to bring your students to a basic skill of proficiency in reading music. Then I would just suggest that you take the approach that I was giving right there. So where you just perform rhythms. You can you can have them slap. And let's just do a number of these. You're sitting, much like your students probably will be. So get to where you can you can slap your knee. We call this a patchen. P-A-T-C-H-E-N. Okay, so you can just get that rhythm going. Alright, let's just get a steady tempo going. Notice what tends to happen is that we speed up. Whenever you get a group doing it, we tend to speed up so we can keep it steady. After you get them doing that, keep doing that. After you get them doing that, then you can begin to put... Uh, and I would first not even put anything on the board. I would have them do them, and then I'd write them out on the board and show them what it looks like. Okay? So you start out with the steady quarter note, by aesthetic learners, isn't it? They're doing something. <laughs> You're speeding up. All right, you can stop. Now, I'm going to give you a rhythm, and I'm going to clap it, but I want you to patch it. All right? I'm not going to give that one up there. So I'm going to give you a rhythm, and I want you to listen and you patching it back to me. Okay, so here we go. Okay, try it. Okay, <laughs> a few questionable ones there. Try this one. <clears throat> few extra claps. <laughs> okay. Here, here, here's what that rhythm was. And this is why I confused you a little bit. Try if you can't see this in the back. And then I put the eighth notes in the second beat. So the first time you heard it here, and the next time you heard it here. 
Okay, so now let's do that rhythm again. Here we go. Ready, go. So when you see it, you can do it, all right, because you know enough about notation that you can do that. Well, after you, after you do the, note, uh, the note, notation, they hear. See, that now you've already convinced them that they can, I can do a rhythm. Yeah, I can read that. They, they can do it. It's just like reading. You don't have to be able to read to be able to talk. Well, you don't have to be able to read music to be able to sing. Okay, so that they can learn to sing uh, without being able to read the notes. So after you get them doing rhythms, then you can begin to do the pitch things that I was talking about earlier, the so me or sing a simple rhythm or a melody and begin to get them to hear because singing is a, is a listening skill. It's being able to remember what I hear and be able to mentally image a pitch, right? Isn't it amazing that when I sing a pitch and then I say, okay, now you sing it. There's no sound, but we all open our mouths and most of us reproduce that pitch. Okay? Well, it's quite an amazing skill. Then when you put it together and you try to teach the sight singing. So you you start with the doing. That's the first thing. When you teach when you teach the music, you start with the doing, not the reading. See so, you now that's different than a lot of your curriculum will uh, your curriculums will teach. They'll want to start with the reading first, and then try to do. I, I want to reverse that and say, do it first, then learn to read it. That's how we learn to talk. So why not learn to sing that way? Okay? So we do it first. After we learn to do, then we begin to add visual Representation. And I basically cover uh, what I call landmarks. So, of course, first of all, you're going to have and we call that a cleft or stack. Now, I'll have one of these up there on the board. You know, if you write with one of these all day, you can get headaches. And I basically have three landmarks on the stack. I call them landmarks. Okay? G clef, the F clef, and middle C. I tell them, look, you don't know how to read music, you don't know how to read lines and spaces, but you can learn where these three are. So that if I tell you, uh, Sopranos, that top line, third measure, on on uh, on B, your note, that you're not hitting the B. Well, they can say B. I don't know where B is. I know where G is. Let's see. Okay, they can find it. Now I've jumped ahead here. Uh, when I'm teaching this. But my point is, I'm going to get them started. I'm going to give them some points of reference. And then I'm just going to practice building the skill. Now, if you're in elementary, uh, what, you, what I would recommend is that you find some uh, 
good tape, floor tape or carpet tape, if you have carpet in your classroom, and, and put one of those on the floor that's, you know, a foot or so between lines. And uh, your students can begin, can, they'll have fun, it's an activity, and they can go over there and you can play a little game. I want you to stand on line, on line B, or line D, or line E, and they have to find it, they go and stand on it. And they stand on the line. You can teach them, well, what does it mean to stand on the line? Does it mean you have your toes in the line, your heels in the line? No, you stand right on top of the line, just like the note would be. Or you have them stand in a space, and they can stand right in that space, and their little feet will fit in that space. Okay. So I teach them the cleft and the lines and spaces, and there's all and there's drills then that we use. We can have it on the have it on the floor, we can practice them flashcards, uh, all the different ways we can do it. And then I want to add notation. And if I've already been doing rhythms, if I've already been doing rhythms, they're already going to be learning some of those notations. Now it's interesting, when you go to teach notation, especially for children, that's really all you need if you want quarter notes and eighth notes. You don't have to even talk about the head of the note. You can do that rhythm as well as do the, ones, the other ones I had up there. You'd know what they are. Of course, the problem comes in if you want to have a half note. But those can come later. And for your first, second grade, you can teach them to read the simple rhythms just like that. But then you go ahead and teach the rest of it. You want to put heads on the notes, teach them the half and the whole. Uh, teach them the notation. And all the time, you're working on lines and spaces. And you're doing rhythms. They can hear. They can keep a steady rhythm. They can reproduce pitches. And you're working on those. And of course, you're singing songs and devotions, and maybe you're practicing for a program. Whatever it is you're practicing for, they're having lots of singing experiences. And then you can begin to talk about pitch. Now, can they all sing? Probably. Most of them can sing to some extent. <clears throat> and so you begin to put those notes on the clef, and you begin to show them, and you, what are you going to start with? Based on what we've been talking about, what are you going to start with on the clef? Kick that. C? C? Okay, why? What pitches did we start out with first? Remember what I was telling you about the value? Did? Okay. So I'm going to start out with those. So me. So me. There's lots of little melodies that have those two pitches and, and maybe two or three others in them that you can then begin to sing. And you begin to associate that same interval that you're trying to teach so that they can hear and recognize. 
and they can begin to have a successful sight reading experience uh, very early on. Once you begin to add the, the pitches, and you then you just begin to build, and you and you always start with so and me, and then you add to that. You can add la and add other pitches, and then soon you add do. Well, if you can teach those basic things, you've already taught sight reading. Of course, you might want to add meter later on. You're going to explain that. But you have to talk about that. If all you have is 4-4 four, four, and 3-4, and you have them do the rhythms, they don't really care at this point whether it's 4-4 four, four, or 3-4. Okay? If they learn by hearing, and then you show them what they just played, and then you begin to, to add rhythm symbols to what they're doing, you don't need to add the 4-4 four, four time right away. Or the 3-4, or explain all the intricacies of how that works mathematically. When did they first learn fractions anyway? Is it third or fourth grade? Okay, so you don't need to talk about that for a long time. Don't even worry about it. Okay? Now, my point is, I know you only have it once a week, and I know we struggle to find time. But my point is, it doesn't take a lot of knowledge to be able to sight read. It doesn't take a lot. The rhythm is often what gets us off track anyway, because we can't do the rhythm. At least that's what I find. Many people cannot keep that rhythm. They can't figure out what it feels like to keep that quarter note going. And just because we haven't practiced, we're not, we're not accustomed to it. And so the rhythm is going to be a problem with shape notes or round notes. And then if, if you want to do the round notes, here's, I, I've taught round notes, but here's generally for myself, at least the only time I'll teach round notes is in a church situation where people, the congregation wants some input on music, and most of them, I don't have the time to drill this. Then I'll teach shape notes. But I think, my, my personal opinion, and you're free to disagree, my personal opinion is that in our schools, we have enough time that we can teach round notes. And we do them a favor if they ever pick anything up other than a hymn book. Now maybe you don't want them to pick up anything else other than a hymn book. There's a lot of good music in a hymn book. I could, have a, I could have a great time for a long time just in a hymn book and mu musically. So if that's all you want them to read from, that might be fine. If that's all we'll ever see. But if they're ever going to see other music, then I think you, you're, you do them a disservice by not teaching them round notes because they're going to come across them sooner or later. That's my opinion. A any discussion on that? Any, any questions or comments? Anyone? Yes. My experience is in the, especially in, in our churches, people who, who are okay. Well, we say that shapements are a crutch and they easily can be. Um, but there is a time, and, and I know that it's interesting, sometimes read the introduction of the Christian community, about 10 pages. Mm -hmm. of, I think if basically John Overhaul's theme is. Get the people, make the music as small mm -hmm. a part of your time as it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Especially for worship. Mm -hmm. um, if, if we're going to have to, while we're singing in church, figure out which is do and which is law, mm -hmm. 
we're going to do it so to the message. And, and the faster you can do it, the less you have to look. Mm-hmm. But then, not all, if all music went that way, you know, it'd be fine. But then, the, the, then what happens in our course is when I bring in music around us, tumble around the other pencils and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and my only response to that would be that if we do a, a good job in school, we could read it just as fast if it was round notes as it was shape notes. But the point is well taken. Uh, the, it, you know, the, the less attention you have to give to singing the right pitch, the more you're free to think about what you're singing. So, sure, I wouldn't argue with that. And our churches are full of people that have never had the opportunity or taken an opportunity to learn round notes. And that's why I will still teach them in a church situation. Any other comments? How will this affect students? For example, fifth and sixth graders, how would it affect them if um, I would teach them round notes? They weren't shaking notes up to this point, they'll probably go back to shaking notes in seventh and eighth grade. How that, what will that do for them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I don't think it'll hurt. It, they won't have lost anything, except maybe recognition of shaped notes, which will come back in about, you know, half a dozen practices, and they'll be back again. I learn shape notes before I learn round notes, and I still, if I if I have a shape note book in front of me, I'll think more in terms of shape than I will lines and spaces. Just because that's, that's why it's easy, I just go right back to it, and I don't I don't have to think. On the other hand, I don't think I think I know it well enough that it doesn't distract from my from my worship. Another whole interesting subject is uh, why do we sing? If it's so terrible to be distracted by the notes, why do we use it? Okay. What what is our concern about the the music? Our concern is, and it's it's a valid concern, that we get so caught up in the sound and how nice it sounds that we will not worship. What I want to say is, could it be that the music is part of the worship? Part of the worship. Okay, that contributes to worship. I'll talk more about that a little bit later. Let's talk about structuring the class. <clears throat> Most of you are working under uh, some serious time limitations. You have only one day a week and maybe only 20 minutes, 30 at the most. Maybe if you're in high school, you manage to find 45 somewhere to be able to teach music. And so in a week's time, a lot can go, a lot can uh leave the consciousness in the student in a week's time. So what do you do? And then uh, you start in, in September, end of August, and by the 1st of October, you have Christmas program coming up, and so you have to quick practice for that. How many of you have, give a program in your school? A Christmas program or some kind of program? Okay. How many of you give two a year? Okay. About half. Okay, so you find yourself about 1st of October, woo, we've got to get started on Christmas program here, so uh, we don't even have time to teach anymore, 
we have to quick learn some songs. How do we teach them? We sing it till they get it, right? We sing it till they get it. Well, I think if we would plan a little bit ahead of time, if we would just plan a little, we could start with those songs from the very beginning and use even just parts of them maybe that lend themselves to it, include that in the music reading process. It'll save you time in October if you plan in August anyway, if you choose your, if you plan a Christmas program. Now, I, I, don't feel bad. I do the same thing. But the, the more I plan, the more I accomplish. The more I plan ahead of time, the more I'm able to accomplish. And so what I want to do is use that music as a means. I have less pressure on me in September. And so I use that music, and, I, and, I, and we talk about, okay, how are we going to learn to sing this? Now, there's another curriculum out there uh, called Jensen <clears throat> Sight Singing Course. <clears throat> and uh, I have some handouts here with phone numbers and places to order these things. But that's a good course on a high school level. We've talked about elementary a little bit. On a high school level, that's a good course. And uh, it's just a a graded approach to sight singing. But structuring the class. So you have one day a week. Then my suggestion is, is that you decide what you want them to learn by the end of the year. Do you want them to be able to learn uh, how to read quarter notes and eighth notes in rhythms? And you want them to learn uh, to recognize la, so, and me. I'm thinking lower elementary again now. La, so, and me. And recognize and be able to reproduce it off the music. Okay? So maybe that's the, all the bigger your goals should be in terms of music for that year in lower elementary. And then you can add to that. And if you have, let's say you have fifth and sixth graders, it'll take some time to build in your school. So I really think uh, one thing that plagued us a lot in our school was that we had new teachers every two or three years in most of our classrooms, okay? So uh, one teacher might come in and love art, and she does a bang-up job teaching art. Next one comes in, hates art, loves music, teaches music, and so we don't get in continuity. encourage you to have a plan with your curriculum and and sit down with your principal and your other teachers and say what what can we teach can we put something in place that no matter who teaches this classroom this is what they're going to teach and if they don't know how then we we find a way to teach them how or find someone else who can we in our school we also had teachers swap one teacher in her room she said i, I love art i don't like music Teacher next door said, I love music, I don't really like art. Let's, let's work something out on schedule. So they traded and had those at the same period and simply traded for their rooms. So there's ways that you can do that and, and be able to develop a consistent music program. So set your goal for the year and then just come up with different ways to go about teaching that.
And so if, if that's your goal to teach quarter notes and eighth notes, and then you, you're going to teach lasso me, and then find different ways to do that, different exercises and drills. And then I would say then uh, to use the program music to help these people uh, learn how to read music. Let's talk about programs. What kinds of things do you do for programs? What kinds of things do you do? How many of you just try to uh, develop a theme, find some songs, maybe a few poems and, and readings? How many of you find that's your normal format for programs? Okay. Yeah, has anyone taken any uh, little children's musical or something and tried to present that? Anybody tried that? Okay. Now, so you have songs and readings. What's the goal of a program? What's the purpose of a program? Inspiration. Inspiration. Okay. Bring some kind of message to the people. Christmas program is using the Okay. That's going to include the idea of inspiration as well. But message. That's right. No, I, I'm not saying it's the same, but it's going to be included there. Okay, someone else. Okay, you're going to encourage singing. Okay, glorify God. Now that last one, encourage singing, is one that I was getting at, and I was going to state it this way. Uh, set a standard. Forgive my writing. Set a standard. I'm going to set a standard. Now, what do I mean by that? It was interesting. Uh, when I went to my school, where I where I grew up and I went back and started teaching music, there was absolutely no, no tradition in music at that school. Okay, we, They gave programs, but it was whatever happened, happened. There was no general curriculum, uh, none of that. And so uh, the young people there, most of them liked country music or, that, or southern gospel. And maybe a few would have liked uh, some of the pop music as well. And uh, not a very high standard of music in that school. It was interesting. Within the five years I was there, and I had no idea this was going to happen, really, uh, within the five years I was there, I'd have students tell me, you know, uh, I liked country music until I sang on choir for a year, and now I can't stand country music. Now, we didn't preach at all about how bad country music was. We didn't tell them how bad pop music was. Uh, all we did was taught good singing. Okay? And there began to develop in them an awareness of the value and how much fun and satisfaction could be 
enjoy just in singing good music and in being part of a good singing program. So another goal I have with programs is to set a standard. And as we did that, more and more, instead of it being uncool, you know, to sing in junior high, pretty soon uh, you wanted to learn all you could. You couldn't wait to get in junior high and high school to where you could learn to sing and be a part of that group. And what, what I just love to see is that as we sang those songs, people wanted to sing on the group. They wanted to sing good music. Their taste for country and pop and all that music just began to disappear. So uh, when, we, when we do the programs, we want to be able to, to do all those things we mentioned. It needs to be inspirational. It needs to have a message. We want it to encourage singing, setting a standard. And all of that, I believe, can bring glory to God because that's the purpose. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. And so I think the songs you choose and the readings you choose they ought to be done well. They ought to be done well. Uh, in terms of planning for a program, uh, sources, where do you find music? And, you know, there is a lot of children's music out there today, uh, all kinds. And most of it is not very easily used in our schools. And that's fine. Uh, I don't really miss it. However, uh, where you go to find your music, uh, I think is important. One of the things that we talk about uh, in this whole area of music selection and where we find it is what kind of music do we want our people to listen to? And uh, do you ever notice that the kind of music you grew up listening to is the kind of music you like when you're older. Even if you change, let's say you grew up, and I'm just going to speak back to the people I, I grew up with, or the, the, the older, the, the older middle-aged men in my community. Most of them grew up listening to bluegrass and southern gospel and all that. That's, that's just their background. That's what they grew up listening to. Well, what songs in the church do you suppose they like? Take a stab at it. Same style. Yeah. Same style. Uh, you know, bringing in the sheaves. Uh, there's power in the blood. What? In the sweet by and by. Church in the wildwood. Yeah. All those kind. Yeah, if, if you uh, grow up listening to uh, much of the children's music being pr produced today, you'll probably have a much greater affinity for uh, what's called contemporary Christian or Christian rock or things like that. If you grew up listening to Chuck Wagon Gang and some of those, like I did, um, you're going to like Southern Gospel. If you grew up listening to Southern Gospel, let me tell you what your young person will look. The first thing he'll listen to when he gets older, if he wants to experiment with other music, well, listen to it. Listen to Southern Gospel growing up. Any ideas? Country. Country music. 
That's what he'll like, because it's essentially the same. Okay? So much of the music we listen to has its roots in some of these popular forms that we don't really care for. Uh, I, I, I really would like us to think about what we, what we uh, listen to. And let me just suggest a number of groups, singing groups. And I know, I know what, what we listen to varies according to taste, and, and I've heard people recommend that we should only listen to uh, recordings of our own people, groups. Uh, that's a, a whole big area of debate. I sure don't want to undermine anything that, that you believe to be important, but I'm just going to give you a, a list here of things that, of groups that I think uh, set a standard that, that uh, fits very well with the goals we have in our churches and congregational singing. They sing a lot of the same music, a lot of hymns and, and uh, songs written in, in hymn style. Um, there's West Coast Mennonite. How many of you have heard of that? Okay, most of you. Good. Um, there is uh, SNBI. There's Rosedale. There is um, Masters Corral. What are some others that I haven't listed here? Some people like Halal, although I would say that Halal is a step below some of these others. Any others? Um, those are just some suggestions. And the reason I like these people is because they, they have a very, uh, a very nice sound. And they, I, I like the music they sing. Now, I haven't heard any of Rosedale's uh, tapes in the last four or five years, probably already. So it's been a while. I'm thinking of the earlier days when Lloyd Kaufman was there. So those are some groups that I would just recommend that, that if you start listening to those, now that isn't going to give you a lot of a material for your elementary. It's not going to give you much for that. But it will give you some place to start with your high school and junior high. Now, for children's uh, music, uh, I would suggest uh, if you are looking for something fresh and new and different, that you find a music store in your area. A music store. And these are sometimes little out-of-the-way places. Look in the yellow pages and you might want to call around a little bit, but a lot of them sh uh, sell sheet music, and they include uh, church, they, they include youth and, and children's choir music, and there is some of it that can be adapted very well to a cappella things, some very well-written things. You, you have to just look through a lot of music to find it, but you, it's there if you want to find it. The other place you can look is in your hymn book. I'm going to spend us a few minutes today yet <clears throat> singing out of the hymn book and just showing you what can be done. But those two places, and then if you look in a, in a bookstore, I've spent hours looking through your average Christian bookstore, uh, looking through the children's music section, majority of which I can't use. Okay, 
uh, a bookstore like Provident, I notice, has a little greater variety because they're a little more aware of our, of our uh, preferences in those areas. So they may have some more variety there. But you're going to have to look at what you can find. So I want to pass out a sheet that has a number of address publishers and phone numbers. <clears throat> now I made, I think it was 50 of these. More if you want them, you're, you're welcome to uh, make more copies. <clears throat> what you'll find here is some of the major uh, music publishing companies with addresses, and then in the lower right, there are two music suppliers uh, for all publishers. And there's 800 numbers there. May not have the exact count on these. <clears throat> and at the top, if you want to fax them or mail a request, you can do that using that. That's just an idea there at the top of the page. Using that to fax a, a request for what they have. And just start calling and writing. Say, hey, what do you have for elementary age children? Do you, and a lot of these places will have a music review subscription where they'll send you music for maybe a 5 to $30, $40 fee every year. They'll send you a, a, a sample packet of stuff. The problem with it is most of it you can't use. So you may get it for a year or two and decide, forget that. But even a year or two will have acquainted you a little bit with what's out there. And you'll still get their promotional literature, their catalogs, and you'll see what kind of services they offer. The two at the bottom, Pepper and, and uh, Malachi, are two suppliers. Can you read those 800 numbers there? They didn't copy real well. It's just addresses I've been compiling there. I don't think I even have my original with me. But you should be able to make the, the important ones out there. And call them. And those people, you can call them, Malachi and Pepper, and say, okay, I'd like to have someone in the choral department or children's music department. And they'll, and they'll put you there, and then you can tell them what you want. Maybe you only have a title. And they can probably find you a title, find you the piece. Or maybe you have a composer or arranger, and you tell them, I, I'd like to know... Um, I, there's one song this guy's written. I can't remember the title. It has this line in it. They're, they can be amazingly helpful. If you have copyright questions, uh, if you want to photocopy and you want to get permission, often they can help you find the right people to uh, talk to about uh, photocopying issues and permission and so on. All right. Are there any questions on, on, on the uh, sources mm -hmm. and our program preparation? Do you have any ideas maybe that you want to share for program preparation that you think we'd enjoy hearing? Anyone? One of the things we don't think about very often in programs is 
uh, what we call logistics or how to get people where you want them at the right time. So let's say you have you have the front set up and maybe you have risers. And let's just say that your program has uh, has uh, children walking down the center aisle. Okay. Uh, just some little things that I think can make a big difference in in how well organized and how uh, you want to minimize distractions in the program. You want to have it very orderly and uh, it can look very well done. If you can, this is one little thing that I think is helpful. If you can have your students, when they split here in the middle, this is one way to do it, have them walk up the side and then over to where they're going to stand. Okay? I'll tell you what normally happens, they just kind of amble up, you know, and find their spot. So first of all, you show them and you how, how they're supposed to walk up. And when, then when they walk down, it's the same way. They don't step off that riser until they get to the end. And then they come down and over and down. It's just a little thing. But it makes a big difference when you have 60 or 100 students filing up there for program. And they all know exactly how they're going to do it. And then I would add to that just a very simple commands. Especially the younger the student. You walk tall. Hands at your side. Okay? Walk tall, hands at your side. Very simple. And then teach them how to walk on and off risers. It's much better than just kind of, you know how we often do when we step off risers. As, as the row moves out ahead of us, we all, you know, we just kind of step down and, and out. And uh, it just adds to the uh, crispness and, and the... Uh, the well-done performance, if we can handle it that way. All right. Let's talk about teaching children to sing. <clears throat> make a nice sound.
Basically, we talk about three things when we talk about healthy singing. We talk about breathing, phonation, and resonance. And they point out here that it's a collaborative effort of these three. If you have too much of one and not enough of the other, it's not going to be a healthy habit vocally, and it will also be an unpleasant sound. One of the things that happens when we sing is that we already have an image of the kind of sound we want. So if you grew up with the bluegrass, you're going to have an image of what good sound is to you, right? <laughs> I know some of you are going, good sound. Okay, well, it's a good example to use, though, isn't it? Because that's how they sing. You hear them singing in church and they love bluegrass? I guarantee you that's how they'll sing Amazing Grace or My Jesus, I Love Thee or whatever it is. Well, uh, you too have an image of nice sound. Uh, you, you have this, this picture in your mind as to what good sound is. Well, how do we go about getting it? And I think if we can understand a little bit about the voice, we can understand... Uh, how to get the nice sound. So here she talks about the fact that you want an, a, a routine of appropriate, unaccompanied vocal, uh, she calls it vocal laces here, just exercises for the voice, to improve posture and develop breath control. Okay, so posture, breath control. She wants you to be able to carry the head voice down through the range, I'll explain that and then to establish pure vowel production. What makes a group sound like they're really singing together well, blending we call it, is that they're singing the vowels the same way. If when I sing an ah, I'm going ah, and the person next to me is going ah, okay, and we both think we're singing an ah, okay, well it's not going to sound real blended. It's not much in common there for those two sounds. So what we want to do if we can just help people sing the same vowel, if we can just help them sing the same vowel, we'll come a long way. And if we can improve posture and breath control, that will help too. Well, let's look at breathing, posture and breath control. The goal here is identify and practice special posture and breathing necessary for singing. They are active, not passive. So those of you that have sung uh, on groups with me, I uh, apologize. Some of this is repetition for you, but let's stand. <clears throat> now, I think this is elementary children, they love it. Okay? Again, it's activity, and at first they think it's funny, but I just smile and keep, good, keep doing it. And by the second or third day, it's not funny anymore, it's just what you do to sing well. Okay? So, uh, the point is, it's how you handle it, I guess. So notice she says, begin without speaking if possible. Stretch, bend, reach, jog, make faces. Your whole body works. And that's really the first point. It says your whole body is a part of the instrument. Your whole body is needed to sing. If you think you need only this, you know, that means you should be able to sing, slouched in your recliner, laying on your bed, you know, curled up on the floor, wherever. Well, it's not true. Obviously, if you tried that, it doesn't work as well as what it does standing up. 
So your whole body is important, and I get them to think about their whole body. And so we do all kinds of things to get rid of the kinks and the tight spots. So we'll start out stretching. Okay, go ahead. We'll start out stretching. The children just love this. Oh, let's stretch. Lean this way. Lean this way. And uh, stretch your arm. Point that way. Point the other way. Now, everybody, touch your toes. Oh, yeah. It's harder for us than it is for them. Okay. All right. And so uh, we can sometimes jog in place, you know, and everybody's jogging in place. They think it's funny. And, and if they get out of hand, I'll just stop and say, now, look, this is fun, but it's not fun if you, if you, uh, you know, start bouncing off the wall or something. So uh, just bring it back, and in a day or two, you can pull all that together. But you want physical freedom. You don't want this kind of thing. Okay? I'm ready to sing that. <laughs> you don't want that kind of locked up posture. You want them free and loose. Okay? They've been jogging and breathing a little bit. You've got the breath going. And uh, you keep them moving. So, a posture checklist. A weight on two feet. Knees loose. And so I have them do that. Okay? you got your feet apart. So turn one foot out. I have them turn one foot out a little bit. And then I say, let's all bend our knees. So we bend our knees a little bit. That's kind of fun, you know. And then we uh, keep our body tall. And I show them. I said, I don't want you like this. You know, that's how some of them do. You know, they're just, so you, know, you don't want that. And I say, stand tall. And I said, now shake your right shoulder. Okay. Now shake your left shoulder. Well, see, you can't be rigid and, you know, do that. So it helps just to kind of to do a little check there. Let's see if you're loose, you know, bend your right knee, you know, and it, it just keeps things, um, and they, they think it's fun. Okay, a little exercise there. We didn't finish our posture checklist there. Hands at sides, face a lot, okay? Faces a lot. Are you there? Okay, you're there. Now, this bounce, 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 shoot. Uh, a lot of times, especially the boys, you know, you have trouble getting them to think this is Part of the male calling, you know. So, you, you, a good exercise. Well, let's, how you doing basketball? Well, you bounce, 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 shoot, right? Okay, well, let's do that. All right, ready? So, we're going to bounce, 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 shoot. All right? So, you bend the knees and you get up on the toes, try it again, bounce, 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 shoot. All right? It gets a nice tall, and it, it, again, it's a good way to keep things loose and they think it's fun. And, uh, first, you know, you got two or three guys in the back. <laughs> so anyway <laughs> alright then we get working to the breathing alright so you talk about breathing and let me just do a very simple diagram up here that here's your spine has a little curvature in it and not quite that much and then you have the sternum and of course you have the rib cage here but this is all unsupported, right? There's no bones there. Okay, this is your waist. Somewhere there. Okay, and this, your head's up in here, but your neck and head. So this is the chest cavity. That's, we all know, biology well know, that air goes to the lungs, right? And so somewhere we've gotten the idea that that, that means that if we want to really fill up with air, then we've got to really expand the lungs. You know? And we want to fill up, tank up. Well, what we need to remember is that it's the diaphragm here at the base of the lungs. 
it's the diaphragm. Crude representation, but that's the diaphragm. And what that diaphragm does is that when it drops down, of course it creates a vacuum in the lungs which pulls in air. Alright? That's what the diaphragm does. It creates a vacuum, creates more space, air comes in to fill it up. And then as you exhale, that diaphragm comes out. Everybody take a deep breath and, let, and just kind of a sigh. Ready? How long is it till you're breathing in? It's a number of seconds. So what's the resting position of the diaphragm? <clears throat> Up. That's right. So this is the resting position of the diaphragm. It's, it's up. You need a breath, it drops down, air comes in, and the resting position is up. So where does the air want to go? You don't, when you are uh, relaxing, you don't say, well, I want to breathe again so I can relax for a while. Well, you're not relaxed that way. You take a big breath and you let most of it out. And then you don't breathe again for a while unless you're exerting yourself. Okay, so when you're singing, of course, you want to keep air in for as long as possible, right? I mean, you want to have air there. That's, the, that's what drives the sound. So, how do I... But that, that's not a resting position for the diaphragm. The diaphragm wants to go up and let all that air out. So what I, have to, what I have to do is breathe in a way that keeps the air in. Now here's how we normally do it. When you want to, you know, have a contest, you can put their head under water, head under water the longest. What do you do? <sighs> okay, where's the sound? Just do that. Stop the stop the airflow with your throat closing. Ready? <sighs> yeah. Now try to talk. Okay. <laughs> you can't do it. Nor can you sing. That's what happens when you take a breath up in here and you got to sing. You go. My Jesus, I love thee, I know. Okay, I can't, I'm trying to control the air and still make a nice sound. But I'm controlling it with the actual vocal cords, we call them, or fools, in the larynx. Because those cords can come and shut off the airway, which is what we did. We went, huh. okay, I cut it off right there with the vocal cords. But what I want to do is be able to sing. In order to sing with a nice sound, I need to have those cords just as relaxed and free as possible. And I can't consciously control the vocal cords. Okay, so what I need to do is find a way to keep the air in. Well, if we could just remember what we did when we were born, we'd be fine. You ever watch little babies cry? Watch them sometime. Nurses call them stomach breathers. Okay? So, you watch them, when they cry, they take a big breath, it's all in that little belly. That belly comes up and then whang, okay? <laughs> and the mouth opens and out comes all this sound. Well, one reason is because they're breathing right. They can get all kinds of sound out. Now, so what happens, that, when that diaphragm comes down, and it creates more space here, it creates less space here, that's why the abdomen goes out. It's gotta go somewhere, all right? So put one hand down low, right on your waist, guys, right over your belt buckles, where you need it. And so if you think about, let's try this first. Put your, your hand out in as big a span as you can get it, okay? And put it one at the, the bottom of the sternum, okay? Put your thumb there, and then stretch it as far as you can. 
comes back to your waist. Okay, you want that to be expanded. You can crunch that distance. Do that. Just bend over. You can you can bring that distance right together. But you want to keep it expansive. All right, keep it expansive. So, uh, really, your your belly button is about right in the middle of that area. Okay, so your your breathing capacity area comes up from your sternum down to your pubic bone. That whole area there is open, and it's just muscle, and of course internal organs and and all that stuff. So what you want to have happen is that that area there expands, and I want you to think about that air going in as low as possible. Okay, so put your hand here, measure that distance with the span of your hand. All right, and just stay blow, stand tall. We got our posture checklist there. Okay, we're loose, right? Okay. All right, now we're going to blow the air out without letting this thing collapse, okay? That stays up. Blow the air out. Kiss the rest of it out. And keep it out. Don't let any air in. And, but don't hold it so long as you think. Notice, I thought I was out of air, but I'm still talking. I can't talk very much longer, though. I'm pretty much out. <laughs> Okay? Now, where does your body cry for air? Down low, right? Somewhere in the middle of your abdomen. How many of you felt it in the middle of your abdomen area? Okay, about right in the middle where that palm was, okay, or right where your first finger in knuckle is. Is that where you felt it? How many of you felt it lower than that? I want to feel it lower. Okay, so let's do a couple so we can isolate that a little more. Some of you didn't feel much of anything. Let's try, let's try a couple things here, okay? Put your hands on your waist. <clears throat> so, we're gonna, we're gonna blow this out, okay? So, we let, open your mouth and throat, let the air come in. Now blow it out. Now open your mouth and throat again. Let the air come in. Let it come rushing in. Blow it out. Let it come in. Now, how many of you felt it come rushing in? Kind of with, you just opened your mouth and throat and it whoosh, went in there. Okay. Now, here's what's happening. If you didn't feel it, you probably also felt tension in this area here. How many felt tension in that area? Okay, a few honest souls here. Yeah, you, you're going to feel it in this area. And here's what I saw some of you doing. You, even though you're trying to keep your posture, you were kind of doing this number. Okay, as, your air, as the air went out, you're just, you couldn't help but squeeze it down a little bit. And there, you're, you're using this. Now, the interesting thing is, I, I'm taking a very physiological approach to showing you how that is, but it's a natural thing. It's not some contrived way of breathing. So you take, you take uh, a cough, okay, put one hand down, measure that distance again, and for courtesy's sake, put another hand over your mouth, all right, and just cough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many of you felt pretty strong activity down there on the other hand? Yeah, yeah. If you had the presence of mind, try it on a sneeze sometime, okay? <laughs> Yeah, your, your body, when it needs to kick out a lot of air, it will use those larger muscles. <laughs> okay, and it all comes out. Now, 
put them there again and, and just do a just grunt a little like you're trying to lift something heavy. Mm, 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 mm. Feel that? Yeah. Mm. That's exactly the motion we want. Because what happens, all these muscles around here are expanding. That's what controls that diaphragm. When they expand, the diaphragm is pulled into the position of pulling in air. As then the other muscles push against that and push the air out. So now put one hand down low, right at the bottom of that area, and the other hand up right below the sternum. Okay? And just cough gently. <laughs> yeah. Now, the top hand came out, the bottom hand went in, right? Yeah. Okay, that's exactly. Okay, the bottom hand comes in, the top one goes out, because the top one is the one that keeps the diaphragm, tries to keep the air in. The bottom one is what forces that, all whatever's in here, in, which pushes the diaphragm up. Okay, so try that again. Ready, go. <coughs> Yeah, now put, put one hand here and just do a light staccato hiss so you go. I put it about an inch below my sternum for those of you that can't see. A hard, sharp hiss. Is your hand doing that? Push in a little bit so you get into that muscle. Yeah, okay. Now, put the hands here again and just let's just let's just do a, a little chuckle, okay? <laughs> Things are getting they're going from bad to worse, I know. Okay. We do a little chuckle, so we go, ha 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 ha. Yeah, okay. Alright, so we did you feel the action there again? Yeah. Now, keep your keep your hands there and say and so I ask the question and, and you answer kind of a, in a sort of a surprised and and uh, wonder, yeah, okay, so did you feel it? Yeah, 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 did you feel that? Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. But all of those motions and those sounds bring about that kind of activity. And uh, long distance runners do the same thing. When they run, they talk about breathing like that because that's the, the least energy required to breathe and it's where you get the greatest capacity as well. So. Uh, those people in your, your, those boys that think that this is all ridiculous and something totally divorced from the rest of life, uh, hey, it's part of it's part of being a good ball player, a good runner, whatever. You can uh, sell it on that. And if you speak a lot, if you do a lot of speaking, and, and most teachers do, uh, it will help you to think about keeping this area good posture, tension free and then breathing well. All right, we've done some of these things she talks about. Uh, try one more exercise where you stand nice and tall, feet shoulder width apart, turn one foot out nice and tall, and you uh, blow the air out. Okay, here we go, blow it out. Keep it out. Then I want you to suck it back in through your lips as if you're sucking through a straw, but imagine the air having to come up through your legs, okay? 
just imagine it that way. I'm filling up this this area back down in here. Ready? Go. Yeah. Have you ever tried to suck on a really cold McDonald's shake? <laughs> Try to get blow it out. Ready? I like Dairy Queen better, but McDonald's. Same thing. When you really try to suck on that, your body will try to, you know, you're sucking on that straw. And it's going to use those lower muscles. It's going to expand down low. Okay? And this other exercise on here, since this is on your handout, let me just, let's just do it together so you know what it is. Put your hands behind your head with fingers interlocked. Okay? And your, your elbows pointing straight forward. Inhale through pursed lips while drawing elbows back. Okay, so here we go. Okay, blow it out. Let the elbows come back together. Now, this time, I want you to bend over at the waist while your elbows go back and you inhale through first lips. Here we go. Keep your back straight. Now, keep your elbows out and hiss on the exhale as you stand up. Okay. Now, let's keep the elbows, let's put the elbows forward again and then inhale and just stay standing upright as you exhale with the elbows straight out. Open. Exhale and a hiss. Think of your lower abdomen going straight in. Way, way down there going straight in. Feel it? Now, don't take any air in until you absolutely have to. Then just open your mouth and throat and let the air go where it wants to. Listen for a pin to drop. Listen until your body almost involuntarily takes in air. That's the other good exercise. Is that if we all stand, we blow air out, and then we listen. You ever do that when you're listening just intently for something? It's definitely quiet. And all of a sudden, you have to breathe. You realize you weren't breathing. You're like, all of a sudden, you go, and you're listen to, you know, listen again. And you, it's a good exercise to do because you involuntarily listen. You blow the air out, and then you listen. And your body slowly relaxes to try to hear that. And then the air all of a sudden just fills up. It's the same kind of feel. Another way to do it, if you just can't get your, your chest, if, I often have people put their, their hand on their chest. Just like this and say that your chest should be high and quiet. In other words, I don't want to use words like locked into place. That communicates tension. Okay, but I just want it high and quiet so that it doesn't move. And I say if your hand comes up when you breathe, you're not breathing right. Okay, so they take a breath, open, let, let the air come in. Blow it out. Open. Blow it out. Open. 
feel that? How many of you thought, think you were breathing with the lower abdomen there? Okay, that's good. Some of you have to practice a long time. It's just the way it works. But that's the kind of breathing. Look what happens. I can hold my breath, and here's we come full circle. I can hold my breath now without cutting off my throat when I breathe that way. So I open, and my throat's open. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. And I make the sound here. So do a do a ha, just like I was doing the ah. Now ready? Open. Let the air come in. And do a ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Notice how your sound dies away. How did it die away? Do it again. Ha, uh, ha. Uh. It just kind of stops, doesn't it? Where it, all the sound was activated low, and so it was a much freer sound. It wasn't a, ah, uh, ah. Uh. How did I stop it there? Yeah, right there. That's right. And notice how you started. You went, ah. Uh. You didn't go, ah, uh, okay? <laughs> Which I'm, I'm wrenching my vocal cords apart to make that sound. Okay, well, that is number two on this sheet. We call it phonation. That's, not, that's what you don't have on yours is phonation. Phonation is how we go about making sound. How we go about making sound. And it has to do with... Uh, you go ahead and have a seat here for a minute. <clears throat> phonation has to do with making sound. How do I make sound? So the vocal cords, there is still some breath control there. But you don't have to explain that to your students. If you can just get them to sing, to breathe like we were doing, and talk about uh, making a nice sound, it'll go a long way. I forget all the names myself now, but epigastrium muscles and, and uh, all of that. Uh, don't use those words, but use age appropriate. Give directions that evoke immediate physical response, such as Keep your shoulders down. Take a low breath. Don't collapse. Okay? Take a low breath. That immediately makes them think waist and knee area. That's I, I think waist and knees when I breathe. Okay? Even though literally it doesn't happen there, but it helps me think low. And it keeps my legs and my whole body involved. It's not something that just happens in here somewhere, but my whole body is involved. And then a caution. Avoid harping on breath support since excessive breath pressure may result excessive breath pressure now what's excessive i can push too much on air i can be too hung up the lord's my okay i'm just pushing too hard it's not a nice sound what you want is a nice easy sound and we'll talk about that refer to the energy of the breath keep the breath flowing through the phrase and so on so, here's some ways to make sound, which is phonation. Notice I use the, the little syllable, ha. And the purpose of the ha is the H in front of it. You just naturally will have to let a little puff of air out before sound comes out when you sing an H, ha. Ha. Well, that immediately opens up the vocal cords rather than saying, sing an ah. Ah, okay. I want you to snap, where if I can help them sing a 
pa or ba or pa, whatever, a consonant. An H is really good because it, the, the very sound of an H is a Okay, it's a puff of the breath. So that opens up and it helps them create a good sound. And then just little, little uh, things like um, so fa mi re do. Okay, when I do that, it requires that I use good breath. I keep it light. I don't want them to sing real loud. And then I can go from a ha to a ho. And so you, you can uh, use all the vowels on that, and that, that's going to work on creating good sound. Helping them produce a free sound and feel what it feels like to stay loose there. Okay. There's more we could say about that. Let's talk about resonance a little bit. The goal here is to identify and practice special sounds used in singing as compared with speaking. And this was fascinating because I watched this lady work with the children's group. And when we sing a song, take your hymnals now. Let's take a song that's uh, not as familiar maybe to some of you, number 91. Let's say the first line together, all together. Lord Jesus Christ, now, is that going to take longer or shorter than singing it? Shorter, okay. So what is going to have to lengthen in that line? You're going to say the same thing, but what has to lengthen? Vowels. Okay. We have to sing the vowels. The consonants stay short and the vowels are long. So how do you practice with first, second, third grade? Well, let's say it like we sing it. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Everybody together? Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Now, how many of you know the song? Okay, only a few of you. So that's the rhythm. And I may have had them clap the rhythm. You may have spoken all the words of rhythm without regard to lengthening it out. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Uh, uh. Okay, so then I'm going to tell them, okay, now we have to hold out the vowels, the A's and the A's and the E's. And I'm going to tell them, now let's, let's say it like we sing it. So don't sing the consonants until you absolutely have to. Don't say it until you're ready to say the next word. So they're going to say, Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Okay, do it. Lord Jesus Christ, be present. Yeah, and I hear somebody going, Jesus Christ, be present, and you're anticipating. And that's what you have to work on. Okay, no, I heard some of you do that. Let's do it again. Don't sing that S until you're ready to sing the, the next word, S-T. Put it on the next word, B. So we try it again. Ready? Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Yeah, present now. Present now. Present now. Present now. How are you going to sing it? Present now. Present now. So we're going to sing, 
Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Okay, sing it. Say it. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Now, we haven't sung it yet, but they've already had a good feel, so when I get the pitch, Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Say it. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Say it again. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Yes, now, uh, here's what I'm hearing. I'm telling you, I'm going to make it a little bit worse to make the point. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Okay. Here's the kind of sound here. Now, how can we make it? Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Make that sound. Try it. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Yeah, much different. Now, you don't know, maybe it's fun, maybe you don't know much at all about voice. But right there, you made a nice sound. That's my point. You don't need to know a lot about professional singing in order to make a nice sound. If you just think about what has to happen, we sing the vowels. We sing the same vowels. We sing it open. We keep it open, and we don't sing constants. Constants are fast. And we just think about. And all I did is I gave you a good image to copy, right, in sound. That's all I did. I didn't tell you, make sure your tongue is down. Make sure your soft palate's up. Make sure you support well and breathe well. I didn't tell you all that. Okay, but you did it anyway. Because you had an image of sound and your body knew a little bit about how to create that sound. That's what we're talking about with resonance. It's vowel formation is the essence of vocal technique. Healthy production of vocal tone is dependent upon the connection of the vowel to the breath. Okay, so that's how we sang ha, ho, hey, right? It was sound, and it required good breath to do it. It helped us sing correctly. So those are good exercises. So we could ex experiment, like is stated here, with these basic vowels. So we could sing boo, toe, father, late, see. Now, take this pitch. Now, let's sing each of those words on that pitch. Okay, here we go. Ready? Toe. Toe. Breath. Open. Father. Now, sing the C. Sing the word C again. That same pitch. C. Now I want you to go up an octave and sing the same thing. Ready? Here we go. It almost hurts, doesn't it? It almost hurts. Now here's what happens. When we change the range and we sing that vowel the same way on the high or the very low that we did in the comfortable range, it's not going to work. C. C. Okay. And that's not a nice sound. Okay. Now, what, what has to happen is what she calls here uh, in this next paragraph. And I have written it here, vowel modification. In the middle of the range, the vowels can be sung in their pure form. So in a comfortable range, C, it's a very sharp, pure E. C, okay. 
Now, to take full advantage of the acoustical properties of the mouth and pharynx, which is this all this back up in here in your head, as the pitch ascends above D5 would be about that next to the top line there in the uh, treble clef. Treble voices should modify toward open vowel sounds of ah or uh. Ah or uh. As the pitch descends, modification toward the more closed sounds of e and e. Okay? Now, notice what, what happens. We go high. Okay, now let's just sing A E I O U. Sing it right on that pitch. Ready? Go. That's right. Now, as we sing that series of vowels, there's something that happens with the pitch. Oh boy, I made a mistake here. I'll need some water to get that. Okay, as we sing those, the opening, the mouth opening, went closed. Uh, not A-E-I on you. Sing, uh, it's a series here. A-O-A-E-U. Okay? Sing that A-O-A-E-U. See what I mean? The mouth went from very open, and, and then these sounds went forward as well, right? Do it again. right up in here, isn't it? Okay. So, the higher you go, the more space you need. And someone has said that, uh, is a sound of nature. If you get surprised, someone hits you right here, you go, oh. Okay. Oh. That's a very open sound. Okay, and then ah, it's very close to it. So, when you sing the song, let's sing this uh, song, number 91. When we sing Lord Jesus Christ, be present so on the on the syllable thus, and then be present now, those two notes are, are the highest. Notice that the thus of Jesus there would be the very open vowel, wouldn't it? So that's not going to be a problem. And then the word now. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now, now. We could go now. Or we go, no, no. So uh, we, we're going to think, ah, on that word now. Let's just sing it. Lord, sing. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Yes. Now, let's keep going. Our hearts in true devotion bow. Ready? Heart. Our hearts in true yeah, now, when you sing the word our, again, we start with an ah, don't we? Our hearts in true. Now, let's sing verse 3. Verse 3, same notes. Here we go, sing. Till we with saints in glad accord sing. Ah, did you hear this word sing? Sing ho, sing ho. 
Okay, that's a very forward bop. So what are you going to do to get up on that higher note and to keep it open? Here's what it sounds like. In glad accord, sing holy hold. You hear the sound be fairly open. Sing holy hold. Hear that? What we want to do is achieve a uniform line through there. So we're going to go and we're going to modify the E of sing, the I, and we're going to modify it toward an A. All right? We're going to get more resonance. What we're going to do is give more space in the mouth and throat for that sound. It will increase resonance. All right? So let's try it. Till we with saints in glad accord sing hold. Yes. Sing, sing hold, sing hold, sing hold. Big difference. Okay? So that's what we're going to think about. We're just going to think, modify the bop. So if you have a high note in the song for your children, you say, oh, no, ooh, that hurts. Okay? Well, what can I do to help them? Have them mod take a look at the vowel. And if it's not an ah or an uh, Say, hey, let's try this, okay? And you can have them modify the vowel, and you'll get a nicer sound. Here's, here's the, the basic key to all that, is that the more space, the better the sound. The more space, the better the sound. Now, if we all would just try to begin to approximate a yawn, let's just begin a yawn. Here, ready? Here we go. How much space do you have in there? Okay, I caught a few of you. You went ahead and yawned. Okay. What do you what what happens? How much space? Wide open. However, if you went ahead and yawned, what happens if you get stretched into those nasty yawns that almost cramps you up in there? Oh, you grab everything and fall back together. Or it gets cramped. Well, what happens? That got too big now, supposedly. Oh, you know, you could you could really get this kind of sound out. But that's too much. It's gonna it's gonna hurt too. There's gonna be tension to try to keep that much space. So it's not more space the better. Obviously, you could try to sing in a perpetual state of yawn, but that wouldn't be good. That's gonna hurt. But you want space. And so some people have said, just sing with the beginning of a yawn. Just the beginning. So you go, oh, do that. Just feel the very beginnings of it. It's not really there, just the beginning. Ready? Now sing a sing an A on that. Sing an ooh. Yeah. Does it feel different? It's bigger. It's bigger. All right. She says here, don't be afraid to use your ear and trust your judgment in tuning the vowels appropriately. Because our speech vowels get so much more practice than our song vowels, children need many opportunities to practice shaping the different vowel sounds and colors. So you can do lots of experiments here. Speak the texts of songs in regular pitch, then use sustained, well-formed singing vowels on the breath. Okay? So how are you going to put this together? Lord Jesus Christ, you've done some fun rhythm things with it. You've spoken through it rhythmically. And now... You're going to uh, try to get them to say in a way that's going to make a nice sound. And you want them to breathe well on it. You want them to have a nice breathing sound. So uh, you can say, let's see if we can say this and, and uh, have an easy breath all the way through that first line. Lord Jesus Christ be present now. Let's say it like we would sing it. Let's do it. Here we go. Ready? 
kinds of things that you want. You don't want Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm exaggerating, but you get this. That's what you hear a lot of times. Elementary choirs, they have a difficult time or else it's Lord Jesus Christ be present now. Okay. Very straight, flat sound. It's not the Lord Jesus Christ be present now. And they can sing it very easy. Very musical, easy sound. Now, I hesitate even to say all that because, see, I'm assuming something. I'm assuming you like that kind of sound. I'm assuming that's the sound you want. But it may not be. You may like a different sound. You may like that little twang to it. Or you may like that hard. How many of you have heard the Wilds? That's another group that you could probably enjoy listening to, a choral group. Not very many of you. That's a Baptist group, and they have what I call a Baptist sound. Okay, it's just it's a much brighter, sharper, uh, a little more. It's a little bit harder than than what uh, some of the other ones I mentioned. It's 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 okay as a sound. They have a little different image again of the kind of sound they want. And so uh, there's a lot that we can do, and that's why I want to give you some good model. I like to, I'd like for you to hear that kind of sound and then reproduce it. Here's the other reason I think it's it's right and legitimate to argue for that kind of sound. Because it's the most vocally freeing sound. I'm just going to argue that why would you want to sing a style that's going to fatigue you more quickly? It's going to restrict your range than a kind of sound that would free it up. Okay, That's my big argument. And that's why with my high school students, I think they begin to feel it and experience it and say, yes, that, that feels right. I like that sound. I think that's right. But if all they listen to is whatever other style, you, you name it, you pick it. If that's all they listen to, that's what they'll try to sound like. Okay. And what I want to say, too, as much as I want to argue for good music, uh, we will not win our young people by allowing them to listen to some of this other music that doesn't encourage good, beautiful singing. And we'll never be able to convince them that they ought to listen to this kind of music or they ought to find satisfaction, enjoyment in church music. They're going to find other music. I, I can just promise you they will. I've seen it everywhere, and you have too. You know what I'm talking about. So uh, it is a payoff. I think it takes more than preaching about or outlawing certain kinds of music and, and uh, preaching about what's right and what's wrong in music. I think it's important to inform and tell 
but they have to experience something better or it's not going to happen. They may, out of desiring to please and out of their commitment, be willing to do what you say, but it, it will uh, it'll come at a certain cost in terms of, of uh, beauty and enjoyment in music. So I just want to encourage us to go for the best and to go for what is vocally freeing, what is going to help the range and the sound. And I think you'll, you'll see benefits all across uh, the music issue in our churches and young people and so on. Go ahead and have a seat. I'll make a few concluding remarks here. Basically, six things you're going to do as a teacher in the music class as a whole. And I've kind of approached this a little bit from a hodgepodge this afternoon, and we've talked about a number of things. But number one, I've mentioned this already, we talked about organize. As a teacher, <clears throat> you're going to have to organize. If you want to accomplish much in music, you have to have some of these overarching goals in mind. Determine what you want, and then decide how you're going to go about getting it. And so maybe your goal simply is to, to, to have a nice program, to encourage parents and have them enjoy what the children are doing. Fine. How are you going to get there? Can you do it in a way that teaches children how to sing well and to appreciate good music? So you're going to organize. Then you're going to stimulate You want to stimulate them to create good sound, just like we've been talking about, and blend. You want to help them hear and understand how to create this kind of sound. Um, one of the things is that you don't want to get too technical. I got technical because I wanted you to understand a little bit of the physiology behind it. But with children, you don't. One of the things I found with young children, even just telling them, uh, you know, maybe you have a pine tree out in your yard, or it's Christmas and there's lots of Christmas trees around. Okay, well, stand like a Christmas. How's a Christmas tree? Well, it's or a pine tree. It's broad at the base, and it's very tall and straight, and it's pointed at the top. Okay? And I like that wide base because it gives you supported. I mean, you want that bottom. You want foundation in the sound. Okay? And again, just giving them some mental pictures like that can help. Rather than saying, now make sure you know, that your diaphragm and your, all that stuff is working right. So not getting too technical is important. And you can say things like uh, sitting or standing like a king or a queen. Stand like you're a king. Oh, yeah. Now, don't let them get tight. <clears throat> you can have a lot of fun with this. Stand like a king, okay? Uh, you know, twitch your shoulder or shake your hand. Wiggle your knees. All those things. Keep them there. Hold your crown. If you slouch, your crown's going to slide off, okay? You don't want to stand. Your crown's going to fall off. Okay. Little things like that can be fun. Uh, Little things like uh, you're being stingy when you don't open your mouth. 
You're being stingy. Okay, you're not you're not sharing with everybody else. Okay. Control is another thing as a teacher. You have to be in charge. <clears throat> it's a difficult line to keep the kinds of things we did there at the beginning of the warm-up with the exercises and all that, and to keep that control in the classroom where there is not talking and and uh, things out of control. Some things you can do if you have a seating chart, have everybody in a certain spot when there's time, uh, a change periodically can be uh, a nice change of pace for students, keeps things new and, and uh, without getting too much in a rut. And uh, the more good conduct you have, the more commitment you'll develop in your people too because uh, especially as you get into high school the more committed your more committed students are going to get frustrated with those that always misbehave if you don't do something about the misbehavior so that's important uh, what about grades uh, especially in, in uh, music in elementary I think I'd especially for those of us that only have it once a week, I think I'd be happy with an S for satisfactory and a, and a U for unsatisfactory. Very simple. Uh, for high school, I'd give letter grades A, B, C. And uh, I would grade primarily on effort and, and, uh, and uh, what they learn. Effort and ability. Some people have natural ability. And therefore, it sometimes feels like you're grading for something they didn't have to work for. But if you include things like memorization or have some tests, if you're working on some theory, um, that can be very helpful. And they will care. If the class has content, they will care. Now... <clears throat> The rest of the six things there, teach. And that's what I was talking about when you practice for a program. Uh, it's so easy just to teach by rote and learn the song, and uh, you haven't really taught anything that's going to help for the next program. If you can remember that putting a little bit of time in on helping them read notes and understand how to make good sound is going to pay off the next program, the next time around. So just build on that. So you want to teach. Now, here's a controversial word. Perform. Uh, people will say, I don't want my children to perform. Uh, we present a program. Well, I say, that's what I mean. Okay, Present a program. When you present something, you want to do it well. And so that's what I want to encourage my students to do is present a program well, to do their best. Not so everybody will think they're fantastic or great. We want to do it because we want to lead in worship. We want to do it well so that the performance or the presentation or the program is not distracting from the message. We've all heard that where it's distracting. That's also a possibility. And then evaluate. 
evaluate. What could I do better? What didn't go well? Why didn't it go well? Those are basically six things that I try to keep in front of me as I work with uh, children in music. My goal in a high school is that when they leave the class, they can do some of those objectives we talked about at the very beginning, that they can read music, and I have them uh, practice leading songs. I think it's an opportunity to get students up front of the student body and lead songs and uh, demonstrate some leadership and learn how to, to uh, do it well. And again, the goal is uh, good singing in worship. Let me just make a few comments here uh, about the purpose of music around a song. This has been a debate all ever since the church began, was what is the role of music? What is the role of music in the worship service? And Augustine was one who said, too, that the problem with singing is that you can be singing a beautiful note and all of a sudden you begin thinking about how beautiful the note sounds and you are no longer focused on God. You're no longer thinking about worship. And so it's been a, a issue of debate. <clears throat> of course, the other side of it then is if the music is bad, why don't we just say the hymn rather than sing it? What does the singing do? Without the singing. Uh, one of the things, one of the reasons I believe music is not, uh, is not an amoral issue is because that melody and uh, rhythm and harmony evoke a response. Okay, it evokes a response. And to say that uh, because it evokes a response um, means that it's not right or wrong, I, I just think it doesn't make any logic at all. Because if it evokes a response that is sensual, then obviously it becomes a moral issue. So... Um, I think we do well to pay attention to uh, the kind of music and then to look at what it does for us in worship. What, what kind of, uh, n name some old favorites, songs that have stuck with us down through the years. What are they? Okay, what else? Okay. I'll fly away. What else? Amazing Grace. What? A Mighty Fortress. Rock of Ages. How Great Thou Art. Now, in that little list, we have a couple categories. In A Mighty Fortress, we have a, a chorale, or the old hymn style. In Amazing Grace, we have an American uh, or an English hymn. In I'll Fly Away and in uh, Sweet By and By, we have what's called the gospel song. Okay. 
<clears throat> what are some uh, contemporary choruses that have been around for a while? I love you, Lord. What else? Alive, alive. God is so good. Okay. We have, uh, in those three categories, the hymn and the gospel song and then in the choruses that we sing. <clears throat> I would venture to say that another uh, generation or two unless we just absolutely refuse to change our hymnals in our churches. Uh, songs like I'll Fly Away and In the Sweet By and By will begin to disappear. Haven't been around that long. But they'll begin to disappear. How old are they, by the way? Not that old. No. Rock of Ages, I think, you'll start seeing that disappear. Now, People have told me, that's terrible. We're losing all these great songs. Okay, but what is not going to disappear? A Mighty Fortress is not going to disappear. I can just promise you it won't. There's other songs like, Oh, Worship the King. Um, How Great Thou Art might make it for a little while yet. It's pretty much a standby. But there's a lot of songs that will not disappear. Why won't they? Now, how many of you have heard uh, There's a Sweet, Sweet Spirit? Okay, how many have heard it in the last five years? Okay, yeah, that one's on the way out. Pretty soon you won't, your children probably won't even know it unless you teach it to them. It's disappearing. Now, here's my point. The truly excellent music hangs around because it's excellent. The gospel song and the contemporary chorus or praise worship type song will pass away as well because it's much simpler in form. That's why on the pop scene and the country scene, you constantly have new hits. The other ones fade out. Oh, you still hear them, but they fade out. They have only transient value. It's immediate, but it's passing. Okay? Now, I do not believe that in the sweet by and by and some of those and the choruses have no value today. Notice uh, Paul said in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now we know what Psalms and hymns are. We don't know what spiritual songs are except we could put a lot of these God is so good, alive, alive. Those are spiritual songs. I think that the church needs all three of those categories. The hymn, of course, is directly singing about or to God. The gospel song is more a testimony type thing. And then the, the uh, chorus is more a contemporary expression. We just kind of spontaneously sing these. Historically, when the church did not have anything but the very formal, truly great music, the church tended toward formalism. Okay. When they had only the spontaneous and, and testimonial type songs, it seemed that over time, along with that, came uh, heresy, eventually. That's a strong word, but it's a short word, heresy. 
Now, my point is that I think, I think a healthy spiritual experience will have all three of them. The problem is that sometimes we, we major on the ones that have immediate appeal. And so we don't, we don't uh, keep it broad enough that people learn to appreciate and understand its value. There's sometimes when I'm singing in my own quiet time or in church or something that, that God is so good fits just right. But if I had to sing it every Sunday, I'd get really tired of it. Okay, but if, if I can sing a hymn well, uh, I don't get nearly as tired of that. So keep in mind, uh, try to determine what makes this song good. Just one final thing on melody. The melody is the key to the song. Okay, the melody is the key. Now, I know we love four-part, but more and more, I've, I've started, when I lead singing, is to include, let's all sing unison on verse 1 or verse 3 or whatever, and then move back into four parts because there's so much in melody. Let's just sing a couple. Uh, there's a hymn, Praise Waits for Thee. Uh, I'm going to have to look that up. I thought I knew where it was. 82. Now we have a couple options in how to sing this. Praise ways for thee in Zion now. Okay, Lord, or whatever. All right, you like that sound? I hope you don't. Okay, or I can sing it. Praise, praise ways for thee in Zion, Lord. Okay, much easier sound. Sing it that way. Here we go. Praise waits for thee in Zion, Lord. Here's how you sang it. Praise waits for thee in Zion, Lord. Not a bad sound. Does it sound different than mine, though? Yes. What, what's the difference? What? Accent. Accent. Okay, just feeling the melody. The melody always speaks if we figure out how it speaks. Okay? It always speaks. And we could spend three hours on that. There's no pitch of supper. Everybody game? But we could we spend a lot of time on this melody. But let's think about this. Uh, a general rule is that if you just accent the first beat of the measure a little bit, uh, it will it will uh, lighten that up a little bit. So listen. Praise waits for thee in Zion, Lord. Let's add parts to it. Here we go. Mm -hmm. 
Transform the melody. On 4 4 time, you're going to feel beats 1 and beat 3. Look at across the page 84. Oh God, our heavenly angels cast our hope for years to come. Sing it. Oh God, our Let 
For the most current Faith Builders recordings, visit ChristianLearning.org. And for more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.